I want to tell you and whoever's listening that one of the biggest mistakes that human beings make is they feel they have to defend themselves when they're being criticized or insulted. You can't let anybody get away with putting you down. You have to defend yourself. It's a mistake to defend yourself for two reasons. One reason is defense is an act of aggression. Uh, Attacking is one side of the aggression. Defending is the other act of aggression. We defend ourselves from enemies. So if I defend myself from you, that's not true. I'm not lazy. Mm. I'm not self-centered or whatever. I am treating you like you're my enemy. You treat me back like an enemy. And secondly, by defending myself, I'm trying to win. I automatically lose by defending myself. It's the weaker position. The attacker is in the stronger position. The defender is in the weaker position. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. What a week it's been, right? If you are a fan of Friends, of course, the legendary Chandler Bing is no more. Matthew Perry, as he's known in real life, or does it even matter what he um, was known in real life? Because it's so weird that a character becomes so powerful. And I think there were articles where he was saying, where he was saying that people would call him Chandler Bing and then he would get really upset saying, I'm Matthew Perry, my body of work is beyond that character. But it, in a way, uh, um, praise to his uh, that role he played for so many years. But I, I don't know, man, is it... I mean, I've, I've heard so many interviews with other people as well when they play these characters that go so big that people kind of undermine, is that the right word, or just overlook the other things that this person does. So is it a compliment that this role or this character or this part they played is so powerful that people remember this person for that role? Or is it an insult because that person is being undermined for the other things that they, other body of work they've done or the other skills. Or thing. I don't know. I think in the actor or the artist's head, it's an insult because it's kind of like, man, screw the other work. No one respects that work. But I think it's also in some way memorable, right? Uh, because I'm thinking like, you know, I don't have a character like Chandler Bing, but I'm just thinking like once you're gone, like he is now, what remains? Uh, but Chandler Bing remains forever. Uh, will people then go watch his other movies and say, what happened to Chandler Bing? But I don't know. It's a weird thing that you, once you're gone, uh, you have no control how people are going to make your life out to be or the things you did in your life out to be, which is a crazy thing. But at the same time, it's a very amazing thing because you you just basically have to do what you can when you're alive because oh, there's, there's absolutely no way you can um, you know determine or forecast how people are going to interpret your work. But they, might, they might just take offense. They might love you. They might make you immortal in uh, in, in, in their memories. So it, it, it's quite a fantastic um, problem. I wouldn't say problem to have, but it's quite a um, unreal thing that an artist faces, right? We we kind of, I call myself an artist as well. We struggle to make these things happen. We We work on all these different things. And there are projects, of course, we are proud of, I am proud of, that goes nowhere. And then there are things that suddenly you say on stage or you just come up with, um, you know, in that moment when you're just kind of ad-libbing and it kind of just sticks. And um, that's it. Like, you know, I, I remember having this, this character um, in stand-up back in the day, which was kind of... Um, based on one of my colleagues when I was working at an IT company. And it was this guy who 
literally annoyed the crap out of me, right? But he had these quirks, which I really uh, got annoyed by. And I picked up on those things. Like, for instance, he would take uh, every morning he would come into work. He would uh, bring breakfast, like typically a masal dosa or something. And then instead of going either to the cafeteria and eating it or getting a plate from the cafeteria and eating it, he would open it up on his laptop and eat it. And of course, I mean, the whole place would smell up, which I think is the least of uh, was the least of my worries at that point. But then I, I remember this this one day. I mean, it was really annoying because he never washed his hands after. Then he would come and say, hi, Sandeep, shaking my hand. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. And I remember one day he, I, I don't know whether he left it on the laptop too long, but ants gotten. And suddenly I hear, in, this is morning, right? Everyone's just sort of getting their gears going. And I suddenly hear this guy banging his laptop to get the ants out of, I'm like, what the fuck have I landed up? So these things kind of lent themselves to this character, which I did on stage. And it was fun because it kind of helped me get that frustration out of working with this guy on stage. But in my head, I'm like, oh, you're just doing an impersonation of a person. And in my head as an artist, I'm like, you can do better than this. You can do intelligent observations. And when I look back now, I'm like, fuck that. That was what made people laugh. And I think sometimes when we take ourselves and our body of work and our intention with work too seriously, we forget to have fun. And I think that's something I keep reminding myself after taking these few months, in fact, few years break from stand-up is like, it's given me a chance to take a step back and look back and looked at and look at how I kind of viewed what I wanted to say and what I wanted to put out. And um, say, you know what, end of the day, have fun. And even if it's not the most highbrow stuff for the most darkest, edgy stuff, for the most intellectual stuff, for the most thought-provoking stuff, if people are laughing and you're laughing and you're having a good time, fuck it. And I know I kind of take Matthew Perry's work, Chandler Bing's work, and I'm kind of applying it to me. But it's what I'm trying to interpret from what he went through, right? Because for years, if you read the stuff, the interviews he gave and the things he went through, he went, the book he came out, which I haven't read, uh, he, the book he wrote, his memoirs, where he talks about the, the abuse he put himself through with prescription meds or going to rehab or with alcohol. And these themes resonate across the board when uh, you look at individuals like um, him in his field. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of repressed sorrow. There's a lot of unacknowledged anguish and unacknowledged insecurity or, or I don't know, unrequited love. Who knows? And they all manifest in, in some form or the other, like the greats, like even Robin Williams struggled and suffered with mental health and with so many things uh, on, on the inside when on the outside, he was a legend, right? From Mark and Mindy to Mrs. Doubtfire to stand up. And, and I think in some way, you know, when, when you look at these stories of them going too soon or the way they go, Heath Ledger or people like that, um, the, the the thing is then, you, you think to yourself, was it worth the dilemmas and the struggle and the abuse of um, not being acknowledged for the actor, the caliber, but being celebrated for one role you played for 10 years in your life? And I think, and obviously not speaking on his behalf, but I think that would be a great sign off if I had to go and if I had this one run for how many ever years and people are like, you know what, man, that character you played made me happy. That character you played gave me confidence. It gave me solace in a time of my life when I needed something or it gave me confidence to be um, certain things that character does. I think that's a great sign off to the work you've done. So anyway, I, there's not like a criticism or a critique or an analysis of Matthew Perry's life, but I think for a, 
you know, 14, 15, 16 year old in the 90s who was watching Friends, I think Chandler Bing was a fucking legend. And, uh, you know, the, 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 now I'm 40 when I look at the joke. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I get the industry, the joke writing. But as a 15, 16 year old, I think I was just in awe of, um, you know, the things he said and made me laugh and in a much more innocent part of my life. I think that was much needed. And it, um, gave you a cultural context. It gave you a way to kind of look at the world and view the world. And of course, maybe now in today's, um, light it's politically incorrect who the fuck cares right but i think all in all it was um, a great show um it still is a great show if you look at it and you make uh, reruns you're a part of your life and you still laugh you still enjoy uh, reruns and i think that's that goes to show it was a great run and great characters put together and for that time and maybe even in some parts now it's relevant and um, hats off to him and a salute to you know his his life with all its ups and all its downs and it's sad, but he's gone. Anyhow, um, yeah, I wasn't planning to talk about that at all, but I think that goes to show somewhere that it affects you on a level that you don't really understand or are willing to acknowledge. So, hey, what are you going to do? So let me talk about today's guest because I'm sure you're going to have a great listen with my guest today. Izzy Coleman, um, join me on this episode all the way from Jerusalem during this time where there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of risk, there's a lot of danger. Uh, both sides of the conflict, of course, we can sit and say Israel, Palestine, Hamas, but I think the individuals on the ground on both sides are in real fear for their lives. So um, Izzy took the time to share um, his years of work with me. He's a school psychologist who's specialized in the area of bullying. And I think it's a very relevant conversation and topic right now because we have so many forms of bullying. Uh, we have so many forms of repressing uh, speech and repressing behavior uh, under the guise of bullying. So Izzy talks about so many things that applied to my past, to my present, uh, possibly my future. And I'm sure uh, all of you will also find something which um, has happened to you. Because we talk about the war on bullying, right? And, and how under this policy, under this onslaught of bullying, so many things have been done, which in fact, according to Izzy, have really worsened bullying for many people. And so many things that you know, we've done, which is restricting certain words, we're restricting certain actions, because we think it's going to protect children, it's going to protect young adults, but in reality, it actually makes it worse for them. We do a few um, back and forth role play uh, activities or exercise, if you want to call it, where we kind of use um, the, the, the present guidelines, which is um, how someone would typically get defensive and react to bullying and saying, you can't say that, you can't do that to me versus, um, according to Izzy, the best solution and the only solution to bullying, which is freedom of speech and see the results and how things change and how human beings interact. And frankly, fascinating conversation, frankly, um, really an eye opener in today's context where there's so much restriction on words, there's so much, um, conversation around hate speech. There's so many things being thrown around, people being accused and cancelled and all sorts of things which enhance the victim narrative. And I think um, that's something which makes bullying worse. 
and uh, not just for the bully, of course, but also for the person who is pointing and accusing the bully. All in all, everyone suffers. So you're in store for a great conversation with Izzy Coleman. And of course, thank you for being such a lovely person coming back on week in, week out to listen to this podcast. I appreciate it. Take care of yourself and enjoy the conversation with Izzy Coleman. Izzy, it's lovely to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining me. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you invited me. I'm, um, you know, sorry to hear what's happening where you live and what you're surrounding, uh, what's going on in your surroundings and what you're surrounded by. I hope that it's, it's um, going to turn out, um, go, you know, it's not going to turn out horrific. And I hope that you come through this and your family and everyone you know and people in your country come through this safe. Uh, thank you very much. I hope the whole area and the whole world comes out safe from this. Yeah, you know, because when, for, uh, yeah, because it's such yeah. a scary, a scary thing when we look back uh, to last February and the Ukraine uh, offensive began, and you, you you kind of say, oh, you know, there are these ripple effects, and then today we're sitting with this confrontation, and we don't know because clearly it is looking in the scheme of things a year and a half or two years might not seem much, but it is like a domino effect, which is. Um, seemingly going to spiral out of control if we don't or if, or the people in charge don't put a lid on it you know yeah you know for many years i've heard predictions that world war three is going to start from the middle east mm. and when we talk about the middle east we're really talking about israel and its neighbors even though yeah. israel is a tiny tiny portion of the middle, middle east when people talk about the arab-israeli conflict or the middle east conflict they're talking about israel and its neighbors, when there are really many other conflicts going on. But, you know, we look at the war in, in Ukraine, and so far, I believe at least a, a half a million Ukrainians have been killed, hundreds of thousands of Russians have been killed, tremendous destruction. Now, th there's been a lot of outrage about it, but it's mm -hmm. nothing compared to the outrage and the interest in the, the conflict going on between Israel and Hamas. Hamas. Mm -hmm. and, and here we've had a couple of thousand people being killed, not half a million people being killed, but everybody is much more passionate about what's going on here. A tiny country with such a small number of people. But, yeah. you know, people like to have uh, things they root for, like they have sports and they have their favorite sports teams. People also like to have their favorite political conflicts. And mm -hmm. the Israeli-Arab conflict has been the most popular conflict uh, ever since it began so many people are so passionate about what happens between Israel and the Arabs. Uh, and because everybody cares so much, this can really light off a war between countries because each country has other nations that support them. They're the biggest supporter of Israel is obviously the United States. The biggest supporter currently of uh, the Gazans and Hamas is, is Iran. Uh, but Russia will support them. You know, so many powerful countries in the world are invested in this conflict here. So this small conflict can, can really lead to a world war, more than the Ukraine-Russian conflict. It's a very scary thought, you know, and living in that situation, because we, re we read the news around the world and we intellectualize it, right, when people talk about the past, how Israel was created from the, the post-war uh, war, um, uh, handout. and But in its... You, you talk about and you 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 have 
spent a lot of time understanding the, the concept of bullying. And in a sense, Israel being a country which is are surrounded by so many Arab countries, um, did you get influenced by, um, by, by this um, geographical surroundings to pick a topic like bullying? What, what was the uh, reason for you to get into this space? Uh, I became involved in bullying uh, without any intention to. And in fact, I was involved with bullying for about 20 years before I even knew that I was involved in bullying because, mm-hmm. you know, 40 years ago, we didn't call this bullying. Mm-hmm. Once, a, Many years ago, bullying was a bigger kid beating up another kid just for the fun of it, but like really beating them up or give me your lunch money or I'm going to beat you up after school. And extortion, that's what bullying used to be. Today, bullying has become anything that can upset anybody. Insults, rumors, eye-rolling, anything that can bother you is now bullying. Now, I had been teaching kids uh, from about 1978 when I began working as a psychologist in schools what to do about being picked on and name-calling, things like that. Name-calling is not such an objectively terribly thing, but it can hurt people very much. If you're being picked on all the time, it will it can destroy you. It can lead you to a suicide. So even though the act of insults isn't itself so destructive, it, the results can be very destructive. So when I began working in schools, the I discovered the most common complaint of kids was that other kids are making fun of them. Mm-hmm. So I understood why it would happen to them. It's not deep psychology. Once upon a time ago, everybody understood this. So I would use role playing to teach people how to, you know, to teach kids how to stop being picked on by other kids, and I was very successful successful doing this. Another thing I noticed was that when adults get in the middle of social conflicts between children, it escalates. Mm-hmm. I would notice that when brothers and sisters were fighting, and a parent would would go over to stop the fight, immediately it became worse. Right away, each one starts fighting more uh, intensively. Each one wants to convince the parent that they're right, the other one is wrong. Yeah. The same thing happens when adults in school get in the middle of kids' complaints. You know, when a, if, uh, if a student complains to the teacher that they were insulted, so then the kid gets in the middle trying to, you know, to find out who's right and who's wrong, it immediately gets worse. And mm-hmm. usually what the teacher ends up doing makes it worse. And there's another complaint afterwards, and it never stops. So I would teach adults how to get in the middle of uh, kids' you know, social problems without making it worse, you know, by making it better. Now, the worldwide concern with bullying began in 1999. Mm-hmm. It was triggered by the Columbine shooting. Right. Are, are you familiar with the Columbine shooting? I am, On yes. April 20th, which happened to be Hitler's birthday, and not by accident, the students who committed this atrocity planned it for Hitler's birthday. They tried to destroy the school, and they made videos explaining why they're going to do this. And they presented themselves as victims of bullying. Everybody's picking on them, rejecting them, treating them like garbage. That's why they're going to do this. And it was also known before that that most kids who commit school shootings are victims of bullying. And I can understand why it happened. You're being picked on all the time. It makes you angry and miserable. You want revenge. 
it was also known that many kids who commit suicide do it because they're victims of bullying. But the Columbine shooting was so horrific that the world decided we have to make, put a stop to bullying. It's making kids kill themselves and shoot up their schools. We have to make it stop. But when I thought that what they were talking about bullying, they're really talking about mostly name calling. And I knew how to deal with it. I'd been doing it for 20 years, except that I never called it bullying. So after Columbine, I discovered I, I'm an expert in dealing with bullying. No, so the shift in something as uh, physical as hurting someone in the name of, and that was what was defined as bullying, where you use your physical might over someone, and this could be a kid in the playground, or it could be, um, you know, frat boys on a college campus, or at whatever age, I don't think it's restricted to a certain age group, to now where under the guise of political correctness or using tools like cancel culture, we are, uh, I wouldn't say muddying the waters, but we've changed the meaning, as you just said, to change the definition of bullying to anything as name calling. But on one front, you have this, where you have anything going as bullying, people becoming oversensitive, uh, and now people being involved, uh, adults in the case of children's conflict, social conflicts being involved and escalating the issue to an increasing number of school shootings, an increasing number of suicides. So by changing this definition, have we worsened the problem of bullying? We've made it worse. We've made it broader and we've made it more intense. So I think we have more bullying going on, but uh, it's leading to bigger problems. Now, by the way, I want to ask you something. Uh, Do you know what profession has been harmed the most by this anti-bullying movement? I think um, I would say the education system, right? Uh, No. Comedy. Oh, yeah. Okay. You're you're talking about the restriction of free speech and people taking offense. Yeah, because uh, the idea behind the anti-bullying movement is we we have to have no tolerance for anybody offending anybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's what comedians do all the time. Every joke makes somebody look bad. Every yeah. joke can offend somebody. So comedians have found themselves being fired or having to walk on eggshells. They have to be so careful what to say because they can lose their job now. They can destroy their career if they make the wrong joke that offends somebody. Right. And And, and because the anti-bullying movement really is an assault against freedom of speech. Freedom of speech says that you're allowed to say things that can offend people. It's part of life. You know, you can't avoid it. You're allowed to say things that do offend people. The idea behind the anti-bullying movement, which is really the ultimate of political correctness, is you can't offend anybody, especially on the basis of, of their minority status. Yeah. You know what I... Uh... I'm very interested to know because, you know, as I told you before we started recording, 1990, I got diagnosed with this eye condition and uh, as a result became a um, a person who's not normal or at least not seen as normal. So in, in those years, navigating school, navigating my teenage years and then navigating university and college, um, times changed. You know, it wasn't so much name calling as it was in the 90s. It changed to something else. It changed to the idea of, um, you know, uh, rejection, uh, standing out as someone who's not part of the pack. Um, And there were were moments of, you know, 
moment of moments of tears there were moments of absolute dejection because you know you're not selected for a team because of your eye condition mm-hmm. uh, or the inability to play a sport or the inability to be a part of a gang because you're not able to go on a date with 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 someone because you can't drive or some of them were the physical limitations but some of them also the way you're made to feel uh because you can't you know see like the others um and now i'm the, i'm 40 in the same uh with with the same um blindness if you want to call it but it seems like there's there's a lot of celebration right there's a lot of um you know calling people and saying you are you are inspirational you are amazing and i think the extremes from where it was to where it is now um i, I you know there there were statements which were passed which were hurtful but now i don't know because it seems like people are saying the right things because they they they're expected to and they're punished if they're not and that's all in the public eye but personally have have people's feelings changed because it seems like such an inherent need and i was telling you this right if if you are seen as this person who's disabled who you have a certain box you you stick in that corner and then everyone feels um proud of you they're they're they they're passing praises about how amazing you are inspirational you are but the moment you kind of get out of that corner which they want you to stick in and do things for yourself and start becoming a presence that competes with them or in some way even maybe threatening their position of power they don't like it <laughs> yeah yeah everybody likes to be on top and if you're doing something which makes them feel beneath you there's some resentment about it and, and, and that's yeah. why you know politically it's politically correct to make fun of people who are in a position of higher power than yourself that's yeah. okay but to make us fun of somebody who's in a position of lower power that's like an absolute no no mm. uh, by the way you know when you were a child you suffered because of this condition with your eyesight but today people uh, are proud of you they they admire you for it uh and there have been other people who were blind totally blind who were also incredibly admired you know ray charles mm-hmm. um you know blind musicians and you know they're incredible and and everybody admires them the thing is when you were younger you were probably being you know rejected for sports for dates and other things i don't know if anybody made fun of you did, did the kids make fun of you well you know I, i not not to the point where i was like say being tripped and pushed around physically i wasn't harmed uh, uh-huh. but there would be statements you know and a lot of the times it was in your peripheral not just vision but you would hear statements like you know people because my um i i condition is not completely complete blindness you know there's a little bit of things so be, there would be people calling you cockeyed squint-eyed and you know even in the the years i was doing comedy people think oh you know what comedy is a great tool to even um you know to break the ice so they would crack blind jokes which i had no problem with but they were just very lazy attempts at bl- at humor right and you would just say and because they're like oh you you know they would crack a blind joke they think oh automatically now i'm cool not cool but i I've, i've done my bit to bridge the gap and you know we're on the same page now which but let me i want to understand they were making fun of you to your face or yeah, to, to my face about you? they would crack okay. blind jokes which were which were not funny not because they were offensive it's just that they were really poor attempts at humor and when people automatically think oh now we've cracked a blind joke we're all friends which was you know not upsetting at all it's just like it was it was annoying more than anything because you're like man you know 
just because you can crack, crack a blind joke without making much effort and putting that joke and making it funny, it doesn't mean that, you know, now you're, um, you're, you're a sensitive, accepting person who's made the effort to crack a blind joke. So people a lot of times think that they're like, oh, you know, I did the blind joke. Now we're all cool. And that's just an example. You know, I think uh, I've had multiple, ex- you know, where, you know, one episode, which is more recent, about six, seven years back, I'm married. Um, and I go for this wedding reception with my wife and there's this older gentleman, I won't call him a gentleman, just older man, who were, wow. who saw my wife and I, and we were talking, and he's got, why are you using a cane? And I said, I'm, you know, I've got this form of visual impairment, this form of blindness. And it was not subtle. And he looks at my wife and he goes, oh, and you still married him. So that's not an insult. I mean, it is, I suppose. But it 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 does happen, but I'm, it, uh, yeah. It, it's an insult, but it's really a compliment in disguise. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean see, I don't, that even yeah. though even though you're blind she married you which means that you must be pretty good otherwise she wouldn't have married you yeah uh, you can either take it in that way or like my god woman you have no standards right <laughs> yeah but but he but he didn't mean it that way he actually meant it as a compliment yeah uh i talk a lot, a lot about humor because in my work dealing with bullying i got to understand it much better in school i didn't learn a thing about humor you can get a PhD in psychology and you don't learn a thing about humor, even though humor is so important for life. Everybody loves humor. You can't get enough of humor. Uh, laughter is the best medicine and you learn almost nothing about it in psychology. And chances are, if you do learn something about humor, it's probably wrong. Uh, and that's a very now strange you, you were thing. Telling yeah. Me, yeah. No, I was just going what to add on there, um, Izzy, because uh, yes. so people ask me, how did you get into stand-up, right? And I, I wasn't professionally, you know, I wasn't professionally inclined to a career in stand-up for many years. But this this innate need to be funny or to laugh or to break the ice or break the tension with laughter clearly has come from somewhere. And I think as you just identified, for me, it's come from diffusing potentially uh, – difficult situations but potentially hurtful situations because i would bottle up the feeling of hurt and rejection and i would disguise it with comedy with humor with with funny um uh, outbursts because i would i didn't want to show my internal hurt but i would use humor to break the tension and just wanted to add that to what you were saying yeah you would turn from a, a negative situation to a positive one instead of getting hurt you make a joke and everybody laughs and when you make people laugh they love you and every everybody has things about them that could be made fun of. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as a perfect human being. And even a person who is incredibly good-looking, very smart, very talented, you can still find ways to make fun of them. Every human being could be made fun of. But if you have an obvious difference or imperfection, it's easier to make fun of you and more people will do it because they notice you. But mm-hmm. even with you, you know, you're talking about your childhood your your peers were making fun of you, but you know they weren't trying to hurt you. They were trying to make jokes, yeah. and they thought they'd get accepted if they make, they make a joke. So they weren't really hurting you. Yeah. And the truth is, you 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 probably responded well. If you would have gotten very upset by it, they would have made even more fun of you, and they wouldn't have liked you for it. But you probably responded in a decent way. You accepted it without getting upset, so they liked you. But had you gotten upset about it, they would have ended up not liking you and doing it seriously. Right. That's a very interesting take, right? Because if you are um, going to run and complain and escalate it, I think you're right. Because I, 
um, in some ways it wasn't um, always healthy. I mean, I, because I bottled up a lot of those things and they came out uh, later on in life as pent up frustration, pent up anger. But um, now for, if I look back and now, I think there's a lot of how you receive it as well, because um, you can make fun, as you said, like when I did stand up, I couldn't uh, look at physical traits or what they wore or what they looked like or who they were with on a date. But it came out with more um, what they said to a question, right? What they do with their choice in life. And I found that funny, right? Uh, and I would try to make um, funny observations or funny jokes on that. So I think what what it is, is um, this idea of bullying now, which you talk about in, in, in the way it's being defined and the way it's being attacked and the way people are um, escalating everything that's happening under the name of bullying. What What is it doing to a generation of of children who are, um, well, trying to be protected by this at the same time, clearly being hurt by it. For many years, I've been saying that today we're raising a generation of emotional marshmallows. We're raising children who can't handle any negative thing. Every negative thing is supposed to upset them. Uh, and that's why there are many uh, leading psychologists that are very concerned about the fact that today young people are entering college and they need safe zones and they, they need trigger warnings. They get so upset by, uh, they get so offended by everything. They want, they, they have the cancel culture because they're saying something that offends me. Uh, after now, the anti-bullying movement has been going on for 25 years already My since Columbine, it's just about 25 years and schools have been trying to teach children not to be bullies, don't say anything that's mean to anybody. But they've perverted a slogan that used to help children. Uh, I don't know if you know this from India, but in the United States, there was a slogan that's been used for generations that says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Mm -hmm. uh, are you familiar with yes. this? Yeah. This slogan is the solution to becoming a victim of verbal bullying. If you, it, it teaches you that if you get upset by words, they're going to keep on picking on you. But if you don't get upset by words, because words aren't like sticks and stones, if you hit me with sticks and stones, that's going to hurt me. But if you insult me, it's up to me if I get hurt. So when kids understand this, they can decide, oh, I'm not going to get upset by insults. And then they don't become a victim of, of verbal bullying. But ever since Columbine, kids have been taught sticks and stones may break my bones, but the words can scar me forever or words can kill me. Kids are being taught that to be called an idiot should cause them more pain and damage than to have their arm broken. Now, Sophie, I don't know about you, but I would much rather be called an idiot or the worst insults in the world. An effing Jew, please call me an effing Jew, but don't break my bone. But kids mm -hmm. have been taught to be terribly sensitive. And now we have college students who get offended by everything and want people to be punished for offending them, or they don't want speakers coming to the university because their point of view is different from theirs. So this has clearly been done to protect people, but it's backfired, right? Yes. And on what level has it backfired? Because um, I, I totally appreciate what you just said, right? Because um, I'm just thinking in my journey over the past five years of how um, I, I would 
use words as a stand-up comedian uh, to make fun of people. And increasingly, you know, what would happen um, is that the, the joke was laughed at at that point in the room on the evening of the show. But increasingly, the next day, I would get complaints that you went a little too far. You, you, yeah. um, you, you uh, upset a lot of people. That interaction was borderline uh, dangerous with that person because her, she, there's this one girl who called up after a show. She's like, I want a public apology. I want you to uh, apologize to the media. because, And this is the same person who, while we were doing a crowd, work intera- a crowd interaction, she was giving as good as she got. And it just that's how the interaction yeah. goes, yeah. right? And she was laughing. Yeah. Clearly, the next day, she had a change of heart and she wanted me to, to burn at the stake. Um, increasingly that's happening now, as you pointed out earlier. Yeah. yeah. But why? Um, I, I, to- I told you before that the profession that's been harmed by, by the most by the anti-bullying philosophy is comedy. But why are words, because I, I really am interested in this right now, when you say comedy, stand-up, songs, music, all of them have lyrics, right? Their lyrics are based in words and the arrangement of those words create art. Um, But if words aren't so important, then why are we... I mean, I'm... I'm I I didn't say that. Words are are the most important. Words are very, very important. Right. I I, I didn't mean to say not important, but, you know, when we have now technology which is generating words like AI and chat GPT, and it's taking that power of of the spoken word or the written word away from us in some way. Um, I think important was the wrong word, not important was the wrong word, but uh, words are being weaponized. And I feel that or the lack of, of, of being restricted, which is also a form of weaponizing words. You can't use certain words, uh, they banned certain words. And I found that the biggest shock for me in 2020, when I took a break from stand up, I was like, I'm waking up in the morning feeling like I've done something criminal by making fun of someone at least I was made to feel like that and is that a byproduct of this entire campaign going too far yes exactly uh, 30 years ago you would not have gotten reactions like this where people people complain about a joke you made uh, you know you, you're even saying that when you were making the joke during the show the girl was laughing she was enjoying it but then she had some time to think, oh, but that's offensive. He couldn't have said it. And she complains about you. And this can get you, you know, ruin your career. But it's because of all of this education that, you know, words can kill you, that people have become oversensitive. Now, there are, you know, I, free, I'm, I'm in the world of mental health. I am the number one advocate of freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. Freedom of speech is actually the solution to bullying. And I can demonstrate it with you. But uh, today, people think that freedom of speech is the cause of bullying. Because you're allowed to say things that can offend people, it's it's enabling bullying. But they don't understand it. They don't know how it works. Now, there are words that should be forbidden. Freedom of speech does not permit all speech. It only... uh, uh, permit speech that can hurt people's feelings, but it does not permit speech that can cause objective harm to people's bodies and property. Like, I can't go, if I'm in a, a, a movie theater, I, I'm not allowed to yell out falsely, fire, because it's going to make people stampede and trample each other and people can die. 
I'm not allowed to tell you, give me your lunch money or I'm going to beat you up after school because that's a threat of violence. A threat of violence is violence. So words that can cause real harm, or let's say I make lies up about you and I get you fired from your job, that is not covered by freedom of speech because I've hurt you objectively. You're now out of a job. I'm not allowed to do that. I'm not allowed to tell you that those people are evil and you should kill them because that's incitement to violence. Freedom of speech only permits words that can hurt people's feelings because it's up to me if my feelings are hurt by your words. It's not up to you. You know, if, if you insult me and I get upset, I really upset myself. Should you be punished because I upset myself? But someone would argue that the power of hurting was with the person who spoke those words. The intention was to to make you feel. I'm just playing devil's advocate here because when yeah. you know someone says something hurtful, of course, if it's a threat or if it's an indication to a group of people to using the words to attack someone, of course, I I, I understand that. But yeah. now it's gone to the extent that if you curse, you're 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 a bad person. You're 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 an aggressive person if you use certain kind of language. If you use certain kinds of words which are um, censored, then you know you you can at the threat of being taken off stage or cancelled from programs. So. While you say yes, I, I completely um, respect that you when when someone said something said to you, it's your uh, ability to process that. Uh, you can either you know catalog it, you can dismiss it, you can react in whatever way, but that entirely is on you. Yes. Um, but what 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 is going on when a when when you constantly are passing on the buck when you aren't able to do what I just. Uh, mentioned where where you're kind constantly running to someone, pointing the finger at someone, blaming someone else, and as a result, there's no internal um, credibility, if that's the right word, or there's no internal responsibility for you over your own way of receiving uh, inputs and being yes. able to process it. Right, and one of the things that the anti-bullying philosophy has done is that it's promoted blaming other people. In psychology, there's this, this idea of internal locus of control. Okay. And in psychology, we know that in order to be happy and successful in life, you have to have an internal locus of control, which means that you take responsibility for what goes on with you. you know, the way you feel depends on you. The way you act depends on you. It's internal. My locus of control is in me. But yeah. The anti-bullying philosophy promotes an external locus of control. It's teaching people that if people are offending you, if they're bullying you, it is not because of you. It has nothing to do with you. It's only because of them. So people are giving the legitimacy of blaming other people for the way they feel, so they take no responsibility. This is not emotionally healthy. It's destroying the emotional health of the current generation. And that's why they're so easily offended. And they go to college and they can't handle controversial ideas and they need to be protected from them. And they want people punished for saying things that they don't agree with. So what happens with this culture? Uh, Where does this lead to, right? Because you mentioned the marshmallow uh, analogy. Um, But what, what this clearly is more dangerous than... Um, 
kids run into their teachers because the generation is now grown up and they're um well they're being taught to, to run to the teacher the basis of the the instructions of the anti uh bullying movement is if you're being bullied you have to tell you have to tell if you even if you can handle it by yourself you still have to tell the school because they have to know that you were bullied so let's say uh you and I Sophie are kids in school and you insult me you call me an idiot yeah. now i go and tell the teacher because you bullied me and the teacher sends you to the principal's office and the principal says to you Sophie why did you call Izzy an idiot are you going to say oh because i'm a bully and i enjoy hurting people or you're going to say, what, what are you talking about? I didn't say that to him. He started with me. He's making it up. Or he just can't handle a joke. I was just joking around. Mm. Are you going to accept that you're a bully or are you going to try to blame me and defend yourself? Of course, it's the latter, yeah. yeah every, new, every normal human being, when they're faced with getting in trouble, will defend themselves and blame their accuser. Are you going to like me better if I get you sent to the principal's office for bullying me? No. You're going to hate me. Yeah. And if you hate me, you're going to be meaner to me. Maybe you're going to want to beat me up even. You're going to tell all of your friends that I'm a snitch and they shouldn't talk to me. Mm-hmm. So this instruction, if you have to go and tell, in general, it makes the situation much worse. Right. Now, but again, if the school, yeah. if, if the, I have to say, if, if this, I'm not saying it always makes it worse. Because sometimes the school does put a, a stop to it. They'll talk to the kids involved and the problem is over. But if they don't solve the problem, it's going to be worse. I can, yeah, I can completely understand where, where that can go because if, if it's not resolved, then it it breeds resentment, right? Like that, that this was done to me and this whole, I, it's so unfair, the injustice of it all. It was just a statement. And then it kind of, escalates within the person's mind right because you're like now i'm going to get back at that person for snitching on me yeah. or whatever the, the the because the mind is so volatile at that age and you're so easily hurt that even and can you talk about the sentiment behind bullying because um yes uh, we we've now established that bullying is now mainly a verbal and you know borderline now everything can be construed as hate speech but when this when this kid uh, calls me an idiot or I as a kid call someone an idiot uh, or, you know, let's leave the physical threat of violence or nicking someone's lunch or whatever that may be. But just this idea of today's form of bullying, which is uh, calling someone fat or calling someone yeah. based on the color of their skin or their religion or their, or their uh, gender orientation or sexual preference or whatever the, the, the topic is. Um, so is it... In, in some way, is this insulting or p- people can use whatever word, but it might come out as uh, the intention might be to pull someone's leg or the intention might be to, you know, get a laugh from the other people. So you feel like a bigger yeah. person. So what drives this behavior? There can be many reasons why you called me an idiot. Yeah. It could be that one reason is that you just, you want to hurt me. Maybe you do, but it's not necessarily that. But the thing is, if I'm the the one who's being made fun of by you, I can't go inside your mind and understand why you're doing it. But I want you to stop. My goal is for you to stop. When we talk about bullying or a victim of bullying, we're talking about somebody who gets picked on over and over again. Now, if you call me idiot once, that's no big deal. 
the real problem is if you do it to me every day, if a lot of kids do it to me every day, and I'm trying so hard to make it stop, that is going to destroy me. It's going to make me absolutely miserable. So when we're talking about bullying is when it happens over and over again. Every real victim of bullying is being picked on every day over and over again. These are the kids who are depressed and anxious, who want to shoot up their schools, who take their lives. It's happening to them every day. So it doesn't really matter why you're calling me this bad name. My goal is to make you stop. So now I want to show why it happens, why I would get picked on over and over again, regardless of what your original intention was. So I'm going to play a game with you. Your job, Sophie, is to insult me. My job is to stop you. Right. But don't let me stop you because if I stop you, I win and you lose. And yeah. Sophie, don't worry about hurting my feelings. It's a game. I want you to do a good job. Right. Uh, and by the way, this is a game that I play with kids to teach them how not to be victims of bullying. Right. Go ahead. Um, oh, th there's no... Uh... Yeah, and, and insult me and don't let me stop you. Oh man, is he? I can't believe that someone like you is wasting my time talking about nonsense like bullying. Because I really don't get it. I think you're just making up shit, and I think. What are you just... talking about? I know what I'm talking about. You've been getting it until now. Now all of a sudden you're telling me that it's shit. Don't call it shit. Well, I'll tell you what it is. I, I think it's just making a big deal of nothing. I think everyone. Um, who's getting hurt, I think really deserves the time that they need to go run to someone. And I think you're, you're, you're just saying the wrong things to hurt people. What are you talking about? I'm not making it worse. Everybody else is making it worse. I'm trying to make it better. I think you're distracting from the real problem. I think the real problem is that you need attention and you're using this to get attention from people. I'm not and doing this for attention. I'm, I, don't, I'm, I don't need attention. I'm, I'm an introvert. I do pretty well being all by myself. Yeah, I'm not sure about that because right now there's so many other bigger things you need to be worrying about. You're talking about bullying because I, I feel this is coming from a place where you've been bullied and you just want to kind of pass the blame onto someone and I don't... I wasn't I, even bullied. You know, I, I, everybody thinks that I became an expert in bullying because I was bullied. No, I, I became an expert because I know how to stop being bullied. Yeah. I You know, I think this whole this whole thing comes from a much deeper place. I think this, this, is, this is about beyond just individuals. I think words are really hurtful, and I think you're just undermining the power of these words. They're only, hurt, they're only hurtful if you let them hurt you. They, this, there's nothing new about this. Yeah, but you, know, you, you come across as this strong person who can handle it all. But what about us weak people? What about us victims? We need, we need to be celebrated, right? We need to, to no, have all No, you need to be helped. You have to celebrate. Weakness should be celebrated. Nobody wants to be weak. I, we need to teach people how not to be weak. Okay, let me stop here. Uh, you did a terrific job. That was very interesting, interesting Soapy. Sorry, Soapy, I, did I, I make... going to stop laughing. <laughs> I was going to start. Uh, okay. Yeah, it was starting to get funny for you. you you're laughing at me. Did I make you want to stop putting me down? You know, at some point, the, the, I wanted to make it funny because that's the comedian me trying to take over. Yeah. Um, but at the maybe same time, I, I was torn it, because I was I also it too early. No, in my head, also I was the podcaster, right? So when I was thinking of this show, and I was like, um, "Yeah," and I've also been rusty. I've been take, gone, I've been off stage for many many months. <laughs> I think, that, oh, oh. but okay. um, the show, I, I apologize. I stopped it too soon because this. You know, I wanted to get to my other points, but I should no, have let yeah. you go on. But let me ask you: in this game, yeah, I instructed you insult me and don't let me stop you. Did I make you want to stop insulting me? No, I kept thinking of different angles. 
uh, because I was like, where can I go now to hurt him, right? Because I've spoken about the topic that he studies and that seems to get this defensive, well-thought-out answer. Now I'm like, which other part of him? Can I, can I insult his heritage? Can I insult the country he comes from? Can I insult all these various... Exactly. So I'm trying to discover different avenues to get to you because it's clearly not getting through. Well, I'm really sorry I stopped it as soon as I did. Most people want to stop it sooner. Uh, but you were very clever. Your responses, you know, that's why you're a good comedian. You can take this and look for different nuances and different angles to get at me. But I didn't make you stop. You kept on going and it became more sophisticated. Now you're analyzing my personality and my history and why I'm doing this. So it became deeper and and more clever. Uh, was it hard to insult me in this game? Um, because I knew it's not a comedy context. I knew I, I, I was forcing the insults. Um, but it, but it, was it hard? Was it hard to insult me? A little bit. A little bit. Um, I was getting into the flow. <laughs> no, it, but it sounded, um, it, it sounded like you had a pretty easy time putting me down. You know it, what it, it is, 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 is for me, it, it, yes, in some way it was easy. Um, but at the same time, I don't know you and I, you know, I didn't want to attack you as, is he the human being? But I want, I, 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 this comes from my kind of, um, comedy days, but I take what you do and I, and kind of shit on it, you know, because that is something I do yeah. in, on stage as well. So yeah, that, in that way, exactly. I, it, yeah. you were shitting on me Yeah, and, and you're, you're a pro. It just flowed. You were one thing after another. It was very easy for you. Uh, um, so if you want to insult me, can I force you to stop? No. Because if you're determined to insult me, it's only words you're going to insult me. Yeah. Uh, Sophie, you did a super job. We're going to play the game again. Insult me and don't let me stop you. All right. Oh, uh, Izzy, you know, the thing I really don't get with people like you is that you kind of sit there pointing fingers at the rest of the world going, oh, you guys, you guys are the problem. It's us yeah. trying to solve it. And I don't yeah. know, man, you know, everyone... Um, you, you tell people not to be victims, but it seems like you're in the situation where you guys want all the, the all the all the pity. Oh, I come across like I want the pity. Yeah. Oh, I, I wasn't even aware of that. How, how did I do that? I don't know. It's just it seems like a contrived way of pointing fingers by using all the intellectual data. And I think a lot of people in your field do this, right? You kind of make it all smart and you're like, oh, look at us. We have a theory for everything. But yeah, yeah, the reality that's is... That's right, yeah. I, I came across with a theory that was, is quite different from the prevailing anti-bullying theory. So I was actually quite happy to be able to do that. Yeah, I, but what's what about the real problems? What are the real parents, right? They're the ones who are facing all these issues with their kids coming with their phones and not being able to disconnect from social media. And they have all these pressures that they have to conform. They have to have friends. Yeah, and then yeah. you have all these theories from psychologists like you are like, no, it's not bullying. That's a problem. It's not the schools. They need to be just need to toughen up. But you know how hard it is to toughen up? Yeah. No, people think that I'm trying to toughen them up. I'm trying to toughen them up emotionally which really means to be smarter. I'm helping you understand what's really going on so that you can solve the problem instead of continue suffering. But a lot of people think that I'm trying to make them tougher, uh, emotionally tougher, not, not physically tougher. You can be the weakest kid in the class and everybody will respect you and like you and they'll want to be your friend. It has nothing to do with your strength. When you put it that way, you know, I, I think... It's something that I I needed, and I needed it many years back. And yeah. unconsciously, yeah. I became resilient. Um, 
And you, Sophie, you, you're very smart and you figured it out by yourself. But let's say you were a 10 year old kid and you were felt terrible about how you were treated in school. And I was a psychologist and you came to me, I would have taught you how to see it differently and you would not have suffered and you would have you could have become the most popular kid in the class even though you had vision problems yeah because i think no, that's I, the thing when i was 18 i was uh, introduced to a psychiatrist and it was a very different time then because it was this complete breakdown right and it was years of not being able to express it of course i'm not putting myself here as a victim it's just that i didn't i didn't know how to internalize it i fortunately had this disposition that helped me be funny and friendly and uh kind of roll with the punches but it really hurt me deep down and fortunately i wasn't a gun-wielding nuthead who took out his revenge on the rest of the school but it did hurt so my question to you is how... i want to understand by the way you know, we're getting into a deeper discussion about what you went through, but I want to get back to the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I play the game with you that I play with everybody. Mm -hmm. If you notice, you know, the first time I was trying to stop you from insulting me, yeah. I wasn't stopping you. I was making you continue. I made you have fun. You had such a great time. I made you win. The second time, before long, you're not insulting me anymore. In fact, we're having an intellectual discussion about this. The heart-to-heart, -heart, the mind-to-mind -mind discussion is stop being insults. Do you notice how quickly I stopped you from insulting me the second time? Yes. I, in fact, you, wanted you... to play the game more and I wanted to think of more insults. But when I heard you say the final time, the thing about how you want to make them stronger, not physically, but it slowed me down. It kind of diffused my, my, my need to come up with one more hurtful thing. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't even tell me once that I'm shitting you or something, or that well, I'm doing your shit. It really wasn't <laughs> insulting. It was interesting. And which way are you more likely to want to be my friend? Absolutely, the 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 the, the latter, right? The the second way we interacted was because even though I knew what I was doing, I was given this role of trying to get you know get within within the, between the cracks and get expose you in in my way of winning that conversation. The third time over the fourth time, it slowed me down. It started just, you know, I, 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 you got through to me. You, you got through with what you were yeah. saying. Yeah. Now, you want to know the real difference in what I was doing between the first time and the second time? Yeah. The first time, I was treating you like you were my enemy. Yeah. I was angry at you. You have no you, to talk to me like that. I was trying to stop you. I was treating you like you were my enemy for insulting me. The second time, I treated you like a friend. Like you're trying to tell me something important, something interesting. So I treat it that way and I treat you with respect. And before long, we're having a nice discussion instead of uh, fighting. And the second way you'll be my friend because, boy, this guy is so nice. He's so interesting. He understands me. You know, it's, it's good to talk to him. So this is really the philosophy of what I teach. Uh, if you're going to treat your you know, people like enemies when they put you down, they're going to be your enemies. They're going to keep on putting you down. You're going to be miserable. But if you treat the person like a friend, which means you don't get angry at them, you don't get defensive. No, we defend ourselves from enemies, not from friends. If I defend myself, it's not true. I'm not an idiot. I am treating you like you're my enemy. You're going to treat, you're going to treat me back like an enemy. I'm not going to be afraid of you. You can say whatever you want. It doesn't hurt me. So, you know, we're afraid of enemies, not friends. So the second time I treated you totally like a friend and look how nicely it came out. Yeah. Another thing I noticed while I was 
trying to come up with insulting things to tell you. It went from, okay, I know this much about Izzy from what we've spoken about today. But then when I ran out of uh, ammunition from that pool of in, <laughs> pool of inspiration, I started going into the collective of where maybe what, um, sorry, what's your, um, what do you call it? What's your area of study? What's your larger thing? Like I started attacking professors. I started attacking um, a generalization of who I made you into. And I, I noticed yeah. that happens when you argue with people, you go from the individual and why you, you want to insult them to bringing in the rest of the world, like what they look like, what religion, yeah. what community, yeah. what gender bias they might have or gender orientation. So start becoming a non-personal barrage of attacks because you're running out of fumes and running out of steam. Well, and you, you look for more things, but yeah. it'll, it'll be easy for you to come up with more things if I'm getting upset with you. Yeah. It makes it so easy. But if I'm not upset with you, it becomes hard to think of negative things to say to me because no matter what you say to me, I treat it like it's positive. So I can argue that you are trained to do this and you've done it for years and it's a, yes. it's an, it's a conscious decision that you have reacted like this and you help people through this, which I think is amazing, right? It really shows the contrast for me. And I think it's an amazing thing for kids to go through because I think it's a, it's a real, it's, it's a real eye opener to treat situations with kindness, which I haven't been able to do for years, but I'm trying to do it slowly. And the longer you live with this defensive um, disposition to, to to conversations or insults, the longer you're going to be, you know, defenseless and also get hurt more often. Uh, but how yeah. does someone develop this this ability to be kind and treat someone like a friend? Because more and more we're getting combative, aggressive. Want to we want to hold our position? Like this is what I eat, and screw you for hitting me for what I eat or uh, uh, whatever ideology you have. So, how do you introduce this? Because it's hard, right? Something is hard only if you don't know how to do it. Yeah. Let's say uh, you never learned how to drive. You never took a driver's license, a, a driver's uh, course. I mean, you never sat behind the wheels of a car. A car. Yeah. And now I tell you, here are the keys to the car. Go to the supermarket and get me uh, a Coke. Yeah. How are you going to feel about driving? Helpless. Yeah, terrified. You don't know how to drive a car. You can kill somebody. You can kill yourself. But let's say you had driver's ed and you've been driving for a couple of years and I tell you, you know, here are the, the keys to my car, go to the store and get me a Coke or whatever. I'm, I'm not trying to promote Coke, it's uh, poison. But, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Are you going to get upset by having to drive the car? No. So thanks, I, I love taking a drive in your car. Yeah. Things are only hard when we don't know what to do. So I teach people why the problem is really happening and I show them how easy it is to solve them. Now, what I did with you was very sophisticated, and you know, kids are aren't going to be able to be so sophisticated. But what happens to them is very simple. You know, it's not hard to deal with it. I, I want to show you my favorite way of teaching kids how to handle being insulted. Uh, one of the most common insults is, is "You're fat. You're a fatso." Yeah. So let's say I'm overweight and call me a fatso, and don't let me stop you. Hey, fatty. How is it going today, fat face? Is it don't call me to be fat. fat? Don't call me fatty. I'm not fat. Well, I mean, I'm surprised you fit through the door, fatty. I mean, are you going to break that chair again today? Very funny. The door is much wider than me. Don't call me fatty. Oh, it's okay. Don't cry. Mommy's going to feed you another tub of ice cream. Stop. I'm not crying. You're going to be crying soon if you keep this up. Well, at least if I cry, my tears will flow off me. In your case, I'll get stuck in your fat stomach. 
I am not fat. Stop calling me fat. Oh, if you think so, then you're horizontally challenged. Horizontally challenged. That's the same thing. Stop being so clever. You leave me alone. I'm, I'm not fat. You know why the earth is not round? Because you're rounder than it, fatty. I'm, I am not round. Now stop it already. Okay, very good job. <laughs> am I making you want to stop calling me fat? No, not at all. You're coming up with all these clever ways to call me fat. It escalates and it gets more more sophisticated. I'm a mean uh, prick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you become mean and it's so easy. It's just yeah. rolling off of your tongue. Would you, could, could you like me for the way I'm treating you? No, it's making me feel powerful. It's making you look like this needy, um, you know, spineless person who's just like, nah, nah, nah. And you, and, yeah, and I'm kind putting of you way up you. here. I'm down here. I, I'm making you defeat me. Uh, I'm, I'm sending you high up and I'm all the way on the bottom. And you you're fueling my sense me. of power. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And you can't respect me because I look like a fool. And you'd never want to be my friend because you wouldn't want to be caught there talking to me, only making fun of me. Who wants to be a friend with somebody who uh, gets upset so easily and looks like a fool? Uh, now God. we're going yeah. to do it again. Uh, make fun of me for being fat and don't let me stop you. All right. Hey, fat boy, how's it going this morning? I heard there's no food in the stores because you ate it all. Oh, wow. That, that's really clever. Now, you're so skinny, uh, Soapy. How do you say, say so, stay so skinny? No, not by not eating my entire family like you. I mean, you don't eat your entire family. Yeah, clearly you do so because that's why you're so fat. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm way heavier than you are. You know, I, I really wish I would, be, I could be thin like you. And I don't think I eat that much, but for some reason I gain weight and I can't lose. You know, how do you say, stay skinny? I think it's just my family genes. You know, I, I just don't put on weight. Well, you're so lucky, you know, because in my family, it looks like we have fat genes because almost everybody in my family is overweight. Maybe you should try buying skinny jeans, fatty. You can buy, you mean jeans that you wear or the G-E-N-E uh, gene? I don't know the difference. My spelling's off. <laughs> no, I, I hear with, with modern technology, they can do, uh, they can change your genes. Maybe they'll do gene therapy on me and I'll become skinny. Hey, don't, don't, don't get all intellectual someday. with me. I, I know, you know, just because you think I'm stupid and I don't know the difference between genes and genes, don't try getting all scientific no. with me. What? I, I made you feel that I think you're stupid? I'm not stupid. No, I, I thought that was clever. I thought you were making a joke about I should get skinny jeans, meaning you know the jeans that you wear uh, on your legs. Yeah, and I, I, I see what you're doing here. I see what you're doing here. You're just trying to get into my head. And I don't want to get into my head because it's not a good place. <laughs> What I, I thought I think your head is a terrific place. You're yeah. you're very clever. You're you're fun. I and and I'm glad that you take an interest in my physical condition. Wow. Okay. Do you notice the difference in the two ways? Yeah. The second way, I take everything you tell me as either your intention to help me or you want to make a joke, a good natured joke with me, but I'm not getting upset. And can't you respect me more the second way? Absolutely, because um, for two reasons. One is you kind of let me, um, the resistance is gone from your end. And the second thing is that you unknowingly put back my comments on me in different ways. Because, but, all, but always in a positive way. Always in a positive way, which kind of takes away that resistance and makes you want to kind of uh, think about what you've just said.
Yeah. And the second way, if you say something which really is in bad taste or hurtful, you'll probably feel sorry about it. Yeah. But the first way, you just want to look for more hurtful ways to put me down. Now, I, right. I told you earlier, this, I, I, I want to make an important point. I told you earlier that in the world of mental health, I am the number one proponent of freedom of speech. Yeah. The first time we played the game, I was trying to deny you freedom of speech. You can't call me fat. You can't put down my bullying theories. You're not allowed to do this. I'm trying to deny you freedom of speech. When I was trying to deny you freedom of speech, that didn't make you want to stop putting me down. You, it made you want to do it even more. Yeah. The second time in each game, I gave you complete freedom of speech. You can say whatever you want. Everything is okay. And then you stop being nasty to me. And it starts becoming more clever and interesting, and we end up being friends. So freedom of speech is not the cause of verbal bullying. It's the solution to verbal bullying. The reason somebody becomes a victim of verbal bullying is because they're trying to deny the other person freedom of speech. That's the amazing. solution is to give them freedom of speech. They're allowed to put you down. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not a crime. The more you prevent someone from using certain words, yeah, they, they just want to use it because it's like a, you know, when you tell a kid not to go near the, the electric point, they keep doing that. And I think that's something which is amazing, right? When you think that, you know what, I can say whichever thing and use whatever word to say it on stage or whatever, you become more conscious of why you're using those words, not because it's restricted or prevented, but because you want those words to matter. Yeah. That's amazing. Exactly. You know, I really have to say, uh, um, in many ways, this interview has been uh, the most interesting I have done because I, I haven't had uh, a podcast with a comedian, somebody who really knows how to use humor. And, you know, we've gotten into things in a depth that I haven't gotten to before in the podcast. So I really thank you for inviting me. Thank you, Izzy. No, because it's been my, um, you know, privilege to for personal reasons and for people listening, I think it's just so important because it's always scratched on a, such a shallow level, right? Oh, it's, kids are committing suicide. They can't handle it at school. They can't handle the social media bullying. Um, do you have a few more minutes time or are you? Oh, yes, yes. I, I have as much time as you want. Okay. I, now I want to go into some things which are of urgent concern, right? When you hear in Bangalore or in whichever city in the world, suicide rates are on, a, on, a, on, the, on, on the rise. And you hear stories of kids coming back from school, just walking away from home and just committing suicide. And it's very scary for parents, yeah, right? Because yeah. I don't think any parent wants their kid not to be resilient and doesn't want, and at the same time doesn't want them bullied. But yeah. with this framework of defining bullying in this, without the ability to, 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 to take negative comments or offensive statements and increasingly hearing on social media platforms that you shouldn't hear this word, you are celebrated because you're the victim, you shouldn't take nonsense from anyone, especially verbally, I'm saying. What is the message that parents are getting? Because it's scary. I'm, I'm the, my, my daughter is 17 months old and I'm going, you know, obviously she doesn't go to school now, but you hear everywhere, deny them cell phones, get them, don't get them on social media. But social media, cell phones, these are just tools. But clearly there's a deeper problem here. So you want us to talk specifically about uh, cell phones and internet? No, in 10 years, the tools will change, right? It might be AI-assisted technology where you have your personal AI in your pocket or whatever these things. But resilience or lack of rather is seems to be the problem here. And how exactly. does... Exactly. 
Yeah. So can you talk about that? You're right. Parents want their children to be resilient, but unwittingly, the parents and all of the other adults, the educational system are promoting emotional weakness, vulnerability. They're teaching kids that words are terrible. They're very hurtful. Sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can scar you forever. Kids are being taught that words are very hurtful. So if you're taught that, you're more likely to get hurt by words. And if you get hurt by words, guess what happens? What I was showing you, I get picked on even more. The thing is, the anti-bullying psychology has wonderful intentions, mm-hmm. but it hasn't been working. It's 25 years, and every country that decides to get rid of bullying, it becomes a bigger problem. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Just because the intentions of the anti-bullying movement are good, it doesn't mean that the results are good. So when I meet with parents, I generally ask them a series of questions so to put them in the right frame of mind because I'm going to be presenting them things that are the opposite of what they're being taught. I want to ask you all of these questions, but one of the questions is, do you want your child to be able to... or to take responsibility for their own feelings and problems? Or do you want your child to blame others for their feelings and problems? The first or the second? The first. I'll ask you, do you want your child to be easily upset by words? Or do you want them to be unfazed by words? I would like the the second. Yeah, you want them not to get upset by words. Uh, Do you want them to... uh, be able to handle it. Do you want them to have to rely on others to solve their social problems for them? Or do you prefer that they're able to solve their social problems on their own? Definitely the second. Yeah. I have a longer series of questions, but everybody agrees that they prefer the second question. Well, the anti-bullying movement is pr- promoting, and not the second question, the second option. Yeah. The anti-bullying education is promoting the first option, the option that everybody recognizes is, is the worst one. We're teaching kids to blame others for their problems. We're teaching them so they should be very upset by words. We're teaching them that they can't solve their problems by themselves. Everybody has to help them. The school has to help them. Student bystanders have to help them. Uh, they're being taught that you have to tell on other kids when they bully you. This makes it worse. So once I ask them these questions and everybody agrees that the B solutions or options are the better, I tell them, well, I'm here to teach you the B options. Mm. Until now, you've been learning the A options that that nobody wants. These are the B options. And everybody realizes, yeah, I'd rather have my child learn how to solve their problems by themselves and take, take, take responsibility for what happens to them. I am teaching basic psychology. The bullying psychology is the rejection of basic psychology. The anti-bullying, the anti-bullying, the movement. The anti-bullying, yeah. No, I... When I I first discovered after Columbine, I realized this can't possibly work. That's when I started becoming very more active. Because after Columbine, this anti-bullying psychology came up to the plate claiming that they have the solution to bullying. And when I saw what their solution is, I knew this can't possibly work. I immediately started writing articles, giving lectures about it, warning people that it's only going to get worse. And now it's 25 years later, and it's only gotten worse, and people don't know why. That's very scary, but 
it's also um, obvious, right? When you think about it, like this, the two examples that we um, decided to kind of showcase and, you know, experiment with, it was proof in itself that the two approaches um, can have such opposite yet such uh, powerful uh, reactions, which are so different. And, you know, when, when, when I think about this, you know, I'm reading a book now called The Power to be Disliked. And it talks about this a psychologist, um, the school of thought, which is Alfred Adler. Is that the right person? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love him. He was one of my, uh, one of the people that affected my, my thinking. Right. And it sounds like that because when you compare that to the, the Carl Jung and the Freud school of thought, which is the past has affected you. There's a lot of talk about trauma and how that affects the person you turn out to be. So just quickly, I don't want to go, I know it's, 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 it's digressing a little bit. But when you compare the two, which is you are a product of your circumstances, uh, that would be, you know, you, I'm sure you hear of Gabor Mate speaking now of yeah, the, the yeah. Holocaust and his mother and her behavior affecting him as an infant to um, how that's made him turn out as a, as a grown adult even till date. And then you talk about the Adler thing, which is none of the past matters. It's all in your hands today. How does that fit into, how do those two different schools of thought uh, fit into this? Because now when you talk, when I come as, across as a parent, I'm like being uh, given literature about gentle parenting, kind parenting. The parents should not be, spe- be seen speaking to each other in harsh tones or using bad words or you, because that will affect the child and traumatize the child and trauma comes from all places. So you speak about bullying and how the verbal bullying, the campaign has become um, problematic. So how would you talk about something like trauma and how parenting at a young age can impact children uh, in the context of bullying? Okay, uh, you're bringing up different things here. Uh, I'm not saying that the psychology that teaches people to get along better and not to be mean is wrong. It's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Uh, you know, n- nobody enjoys not getting along. If a, if a couple is not getting along and they're fighting in front of their child, nobody's enjoying it. It's not doing the kid any good. If the parents get easily angry at the child, you know, they want the child to listen to them and to grow up to be responsible. When they do that, they're getting the opposite of what they want. They're getting a child who fights with them and doesn't respect them and doesn't like them because they're angry at them. So good parenting is a good idea. Now, I'm not saying that everything that's done in the name of good parenting is good, but most of it is good. Mm-hmm. You know, we want parents to be respectful to each other, respectful to their child. I teach that to people also. Now, when it comes to trauma, there are people who trauma does affect us. The difficult things in our life can affect us forever without even our being aware of it. And uh, it can affect the way we respond to things, and we don't know why we're responding that way. So, uh Often having treatment for the trauma gets you over it, and then those things don't trigger you anymore and you become happier. There's nothing wrong with that. The thing is, let's say you're a victim of bullying, Mm -hmm. and I talk to you about your trauma and the hurtful things that happened to you, and I like, uh, you know, help you understand how terrible it was and help you get over it. It doesn't necessarily teach you how to deal with being bullied. Right. Okay, what do you do? You're being picked on now. What do you do about it? Mm. Or if or with adults, you're not getting along with your wife. Okay, you had trauma that affected you in some way, but you're 
you're criticizing each other all the time, you're you're fighting all the time. Uh, helping you with the trauma does not necessarily help you solve your current problem. Right. I get it. I, yeah. It's about establishing one uh, versus giving you the the, the 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 tools and also the awareness of um, dealing with the present and the situation that you're in. Right? No, it's amazing. And even um, if you had, uh, yeah, go on, please. You know, I th- I teach this to adults also. So many people marry their soulmate. And before they know it, they're fighting all the time. They're criticizing each other. They're putting each other down. They don't want to sleep together. They're, they're talking about divorce. Yeah. I think that in general, the most common destroyer of marriages is the inability to handle criticism. So many couples can't handle criticism and they don't understand why their spouse keeps on criticizing them. So I, I teach them how to handle criticism, and sometimes it will change a relationship in one session. Like, l- let me demonstrate it to you. Let's say uh, I'm your wife, and I want you c- to criticize me for something. Um, for not being uh, hands-on, hands-on enough with our child. Okay, go, go ahead. You're going to... Go ahead. Criticize me for not being hands-on enough with the child. Oh, you know, you don't do anything at all. You know, I'll tell you what. And when I need you, you don't step up to the plate. You're, you're not there when, um, I, 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 you know, the responsibility is all what on my head. What are you talking head. about? I'm, I'm always there. You're not, uh, I'm always busy. I'm busy with the kids. I'm busy with you. I'm cooking. I'm doing shopping. I have to deal with the kids' fights. I have to put them to sleep. I have to help with their homework. I'm always there. Yeah, but you know, it's 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 too much because the thing is, there's too much expect expectation on me just because you are the mother of these kids. You think that everyone has to put you on a pedestal and celebrate you, and I'm just written off as a piece of garbage who brings home that? the money. I don't need to be put on a pedestal. I just want to be treated with respect. You're always complaining about me. Nothing I do is good enough. Because everyone looks at me like I'm the loser because I'm not looking after the kids. You're the great superhero mom who does everything for the kids, and everyone just looks at me like a piece of shit, and they don't really care about me. It's it's not my problem if people think that you're a piece of shit. Why is that my my fault? Because you tell them. You tell them how useless I am. No, I don't. Sometimes, but you deserve it. <laughs> Sorry. I broke you know, the, the truth is there are couples who will complain to other people about their spouse. It's very common. Yeah. But anyway, did I make you want to stop criticizing me? No, because I felt like, my God, I, I felt more and more um, right about what I was saying, that I'm ro- I'm the wronged one, and it's the person, it's your fault as my wife for making me feel like that. Right. Yeah. So you want to criticize me even more, and you feel that you're my victim. And yeah. if you're my victim, then you deserve to be mean to me and criticize me and put me down. Yeah. Uh, did I make you happy that you married me? No. Because now we'll... Yeah. I was treating you like an enemy. I'm angry at you. I'm criticizing you. I'm. You're not going to be happy <laughs> that you married me. Yeah. Even when we were single, we might have felt like soulmates. You're going to wonder what a mistake I made. How did I marry this person? Yeah. And anyway, now we're going to attack. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're going to do it again. This time, I'm going to treat you like a friend. Okay. Start again. Criticize me again. 
you know, I'm done with this, you know, constantly you bitching me out for not doing enough. I'm never there for you and the kids. I'm always just not at home. And it's just like you guys are separate and I'm separate and I'm done feeling like this. Well, I'm always criticizing you. It's not even criticism. I think it's just beyond that. I think I've, you are out to get me and I'm done feeling like I'm not a contributor in this family and no longer part of this family. Wow, I, I actually do that to you, Sophie? All the time. Like you constantly tell your parents how useless I am, how I'm never there for the kids. It's all, always you taking them out, doing stuff for wow. them, getting them ready for school. I didn't realize I was doing that to you. I, I felt that you were the one who wasn't happy with me. I always felt that no matter how much I do, you're never satisfied. It's always about you. You're complaining about me. I, I didn't realize I made you feel this way. I'm so sorry. I mean, if you ask me once in a while, because you're constantly obsessed with the kids, you're never there to talk to me when I need it. Wow. So I, I've been putting the kids first instead of you. Yeah. Wow. You know, I, I never knew that being a wife and being a mother was going to be so difficult. Well, being you know, a daddy I loved easy you. Either. I thought you were my soulmate. We're going to get married. It's going to be so smooth and easy. I had no idea that it was going to be so difficult and I didn't realize I turned into such a bitch. I don't think you're a bitch, but it's just that... It, it's, I mean, I, it, I think I am. The way you describe me, you know, it kind of sounds like I'm a bitch. That's society as well. They make the man feel useless. So I don't think it's your fault entirely because I think it's also people out there and this idea of being judged, which hurts. Yeah, but it's me that you're living with. And I, the truth is I have been complaining about you. I've been complaining uh, to my parents about you, to my friends about you. I, I guess I shouldn't have been doing that. Yeah, I think we just caught up in our own heads. I think we can... I think this is well, much needed that we need to talk because I think we both think that we have our own problems <laughs> and clearly yeah I, I got so wrapped up with the kids and trying to be a good mother i had no idea that i was like making you feel terrible i i just didn't know what happened what went wrong it's all right i think we can work through it well thank you so much i i <laughs> i i really needed this thank you that for letting me know how terrible i've been treating you no i'm sorry as well because i think it's not anyone's fault i think it's just what it is. I'm so lucky I marry you. You're such an understanding man. No, thank you. You're welcome. Do you notice the difference? Oh, it's just crazy how how it diffuses. Yeah, because I tell myself, you're my husband. If you're complaining about something, it mu there must be a reason. You're not doing it for nothing. You're not doing it because you want to hurt me. You didn't marry me because you needed somebody to hurt yeah. But this time I pay attention to you. Instead of defending myself and getting angry, do I try to understand what's behind it? And it comes out so much better and it's so much easier. My blood pressure isn't going up. I'm not yelling. I'm not pushing you away. And this way we can save our marriage. And you start respecting the person because they're making, um, they're listening, they're, they're coming up with points and you see strength as opposed to a victim you want to put down further. Exactly. I want to tell you and whoever's listening that one of the biggest mistakes that human beings make is they feel they have to defend themselves when they're being criticized or insulted. Yeah. You can't let anybody get away with putting you down. You have to defend yourself. It's a mistake to defend yourself for two reasons. One reason is defense is an act of aggression. 
uh, attacking is one side of the aggression. Defending is the other act of aggression. We defend ourselves from enemies. So if I defend myself from you, that's not true. I'm not lazy. Mm. I'm not self-centered or whatever. I am treating you like you're my enemy. You treat me back like an enemy. And secondly, by defending myself, I'm trying to win. I automatically lose by defending myself. It's the weaker position. The attacker is in the stronger position. The defender is in the weaker position. So the moment I start defending myself, I'm putting you up here. I'm putting myself down here. Everybody wants to be up here. So you're going to keep on attacking me to get me to defend myself. So this idea that you have to defend yourself, you can't let anybody get away with putting you down. It's a terrible mistake. Yeah. No, absolutely. This kind of also brings, uh, you know, beyond this conversation, it kind of making me remember encounters with my wife or with anyone, like uh, in different contexts, how both examples have had their outcomes, which are totally different because defensive makes you feel helpless it just makes you attack make you constantly on the on the back foot but there have been situations where we've taken the second route where it has resolved much more um in a much more i wouldn't say in a loving way but in a much more uh loving we get our points across and we're able to work on it and uh, get through it you know yeah Uh, there's another principle i would like to explain uh, and that's the golden rule. Now, everybody knows the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Uh, treat, uh, love thy fellow as thy, as you love yourself. And everybody knows that if people would live by the golden rule, there would be harmony. And in fact, a lot of anti-bullying advocates advocate the golden rule. But it's not working to get rid of bullying. Because what they think the golden rule means, don't you know, be nice to everybody. Don't be mean, be nice. They're trying to convince everybody not to be a bully. Mm-hmm. It's not working. We don't need the golden rule to teach people not to be mean. It's obvious that it's bad to be mean and it's good to be nice. Yeah. The problem is, what do you do when people are mean to you? Yeah. That's the problem. Do you have a hard time handling people when they're nice to you? It's easy. The hard part is knowing what to do when people are mean to you. Yeah. And the answer of the golden rule is be nice back to them because we're supposed to love them. If we love them, we're supposed to be nice to them. We're supposed to treat them the way we want to be treated. So if you're mean to me, I want to be treated nicely. So I have to be nice to you. But this yeah. is hard because it's against our nature. Yeah. Our nature is to be mean to people when they're mean to us. It's very hard to be nice to people when they're mean to us. Yeah. Uh, Everybody is programmed for reciprocity. Yeah. Uh, And if you think about it, you'll realize that it's true. Sophie, if somebody is nice to you, do you feel like being mean back or nice back? No, nice back. And if somebody is mean to you, do you feel like being nice back or mean back? Very hard to be nice. You, your, your, your automatic instinct is to just snap back. Okay, everybody is like that, and the reason we're like that is because we're biologically programmed for life in nature. Today mm-hmm. we live in civilization with police and and schools and hospitals, but from the beginning of life on Earth until modern civilization, we were living in nature. Yeah, in nature, life is very dangerous. Yeah. Creatures eat each other for dinner. In nature reciprocity is a good strategy 
Because yeah. let's say we're creatures in nature and, and you're nice to me. It pays to be nice back to you or cooperate. We'll both survive better. But yeah. if you're mean to me in nature, you're probably trying to eat me for dinner. Yeah. I better not be nice to you. I'm going to make it easier for you. Yeah, I have yeah. to be meaner back to you to stop you from being mean to me. Yeah. So that's why we're biologically programmed to be nice to people when they're nice to us and mean when they're mean to us. The problem Amazing. is today we live in civilization and we're still programmed for reciprocity, but we don't need each other for dinner. We're not allowed to injure or kill each other. Today, if I live by my instinct of reciprocity, I'm going to have problems. Because if you're nice to me, I'll be nice back. You'll be nice again. We'll be friends. But if you're mean to me, I'm going to be mean back to you. And you're going to be mean to me again. And we're going to be fighting all the time. We'll end up being enemies. Yeah. So if I understand the golden rule, I tell myself, I don't want enemies. I want friends. I know that just like me, you are biologically programmed for reciprocity. So even if you're mean to me, I am going to be nice back to you. And mm -hmm. very quickly, you're going to start being nice to me because you're biologically programmed to treat me the way I treat you. That's, so the golden rule mm -hmm. is a solution to bullying. If you're nice back to the person, they don't keep on picking on you. It's the solution to a good marriage. Your spouse criticizes you. You're nice back to them, and it stops the criticism. That's but we're amazing. not teaching this. We're teaching, don't be a bully. Be nice to everybody. But mm -hmm. it it gives them no help in understanding what to do when somebody is mean to them. Now, this is amazing that I think everyone listening, it's, it's hope, right? And I think it makes so much sense because clearly on a policy level, there's a different message out there. And Izzy, thank you so much because it's been an eye-opener. It's given me a lot of context in my own life. And I think it's, it's the, the need of the hour, right? Parents are so concerned. And it seems like the things and the systems they rely on aren't yeah. there for them. So I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your your um, approach and also kind of you know showing the example of how it works. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Sophie, it's been a real pleasure. If you ever want to talk to me again, uh, whether it's for a podcast or even to talk one-on-one, -on -one, I'm always happy to talk to you. I'm, I'm going to take you up on that offer. It's been a pleasure. And... Um, my heartfelt prayers to you and your family and everyone yeah, in the region. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really hope this war ends quickly and uh, without much further violence. I hope so too. And I hope you yeah. stay safe. Okay. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Take care of yourself. Be well. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you liked what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.